0: let's start with prayer. Father, as we begin, we ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us and that we may help us to use the biblical principa- principles to do the best that we can do. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Okay, This everyone got a handout? On, it's entitled The Sermon. This is the third one. We're going to look at principles from the Bible and the spirit prophecy on how to create your sermons, okay, and how to... Um, Make a sermon that's best used for the Lord. Okay, creating a sermon, it may seem like it's a hard thing to do. But it's an easy task if you know the biblical principles to help you make your your presentations, right? If you know what can help to make it more attractive. So, um, the principles we're going to share is going to help you better reveal God's character of love. That's the primary purpose of sermon. So, turn me to John chapter 12, verse 32 in your Bibles. John chapter 12, verse 32. What happens when Christ is lifted up? John 12, verse 32. The Bible says, you can fill in the blanks. It says here, that I be lifted up from, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will what? What is that word? Draw. Draw. All Does it say force? Does it mean that manipulate to make you feel guilty? No, what is it? Draw. In other words, it's attractive. Now when something is attractive, do you feel like obligated to do it? How do you feel? You wanna do it, right? It's a free choice. So you ever, how many of you ever felt like obligated? Or you felt guilty that you know, if you don't do it you just feel guilty or something made you feel guilty. How many of you felt that way? I I felt that way. You just don't like to do it because something made you feel guilty or it made you feel obligated, right? Who likes that? In the last days, that's what the, that's what happens in the last days, right? They're gonna make you feel guilty that you don't follow uh, the laws of the land, right? And then the extreme measures will come later on, right? You can't buy or sell, then the debt penalty, they're manipulating you using force and pressure, obligation, make you feel guilty to do what they want you to do. So you don't want to be presenting messages that is making people feel guilty to follow what you're saying they should do, right? You should present messages that will draw people or is so attractive that guess what? The people in listening to your sermon, they want to, they want to follow God, right? They're so moved and Christ is so attractive. In other words, I be lifted up. What is it talking about? I li- be lifted up. Lifted up where? On a mountaintop? In, the, in heaven? What is it talking about? Lifted up. What is it talking about? What is that? Huh? To be put uh, first. First? To be put first? Okay. If, if Christ is put first, then a jaw. What else do you think is saying in this text? Look at the text now. What's it saying? Lift it up where? In heaven. Top of the highest manna Okay. The cross. you following me? Where was Christ lifted up on? On the cross. As the, mo- as the s- actually is referred to as the serpent was lifted up. It's referring to as Moses, right? So was Christ lifted up on the cross. And he was made a serpent, right, for us. Remember that Jesus story from Jesus? So what is it that attracts? What is it about the cross? What does the cross reveal? Is love do you think love is attractive do people do you think people hunger for love out there do people want love yeah they want love they, they may be so hardened by the world that they may not realize it at first but it's something is attractive about love that draws them right they want that love people want love people want love to love and to be loved people jump into relationships all the time in the world out there You see it happening, jumping from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend, they're looking for love. Everyone wants to be loved and to present the love of God as revealed on the cross of Calvary. That is so attractive. So I want you to think about this, that when you talk about the love of Christ in your sermons, that when you present Christ and the love of God in your sermons, guess what? It's going to make, that's what makes your sermon attractive and drawing because you put the love of God in there. If you don't put the love of God in your sermons, it's information, an interesting sermon. That's a nice, interesting sermon. But it doesn't have the power to attract. Do you guys see the difference? you got to have the love of God in your sermons. That is the power that attracts people. Um, the love of God. I mean, the greatest, when you preach about the love of God, oh man, that just grabs people, right? Doesn't it? Even if you have a bad day or you don't feel good and you still preach about the love of God. I mean, today I just felt miserable this morning. But, you know, somehow I know somebody got something about love out there. The love of God is what is the power. It's not the person or the, or the man or the woman. It's the love of God. That's what attracts. So um, look at the quotation there um, from evangelism. Can somebody read that, please, in your handout? Page 187. What does it say? Exalting the cross. What's there in the cross is called what? Power. You want power in your sermons? You want to preach Power power is in the cross. It's powerful. I mean, the cross is so powerful. You don't realize how powerful it is. No, we're not even touching the subject of the cross. I was thinking of actually preaching a series on the cross. Just the cross. Because there's a power there. Now, I'm not even touching the cross. I'm just preaching about the love. But in the cross is where the power is really at. If you can preach about the love of God or the, if you can preach a sermon on the cross and then we connect it to what God um, is asking us to do in the freedom of love, then you can have people make commitments to God. You got people. When you have people's heart, and they give themselves their hearts to God, there isn't anything they'll do for God, right? If you're preaching them of just intellectual knowledge and assent, they they may agree, yeah, yeah, but they're not going to give to God their heart. And I think what's lacking in our churches is the love of God and the power of the cross, and that's what's really going to change lives. Any thoughts, questions? So your preparations is the love of God. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 24. When we worship God, what must we worship Him with? John 4, verse 24. Mm -hmm. Okay, so could somebody read that, please? What does it say in John 4, verse 24? Okay, those who worship God, the Bible says, must worship Him in two things, in what? Spirit and what? Truth. So not only in truth are you to worship God, but also... You must have the spirituality, the conversion experience. You must be speaking from your heart, right, that transforms people, that the spirit of God must attend our words. So not only intellectual assent and knowledge of truth, but we must reach the heart with the spirit and the love of God, right? So you too must experience the spirit when, you, when you're preaching. Uh, we're going to go more into that, but you must listen to the spirit when you're preaching also. And when you're preparing your sermons. we look at the sermon. And what you prepare. So when you're preparing your sermons, make sure that you're putting in about the love of God. Because if you don't put the love of God, there is no drawing power in your sermons to the people. That's clear? That's clear. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? Okay. Okay, that's good. So look at the next quote. Uh, Let me read it to you. It says here in your handout in B. Preaching of the word should appeal to the intellect and should impart knowledge. So you should impart knowledge and truth, right? But it should do more than this. The minister's utterances to be effectual must, what, reach the, what? Hearts of the hearers. You've got to reach the heart. You've got to preach issues they're dealing with, right? You've got to preach practical godliness. you got to, you know, there's, there's people out there who are suffering. They're going through hardships. They're going through trials. You've got to address those issues, right? Someone that's maybe going through a divorce, somebody whose child just ran away from home, someone whose dad just passed away. I mean, there's a lot of sin out there, so you know there's pain, right, and hurt. So you have to deal with those practical godliness issues, and you have to bring the gospel down to them that how they can apply it to their life. Questions, thoughts? Do you see that? What must happen? There's another quote here from Gospel Workers, page 185. It says, While logic may fail to move, and an argument be powerless to convince, the love of Christ may soften the stony heart. Amen? The love of Christ will soften the stony heart. Pretty powerful. Okay, turn to 1 Peter 5, verse 5 in your Bibles. What, what, uh, who does God resist, and who does he give grace to? 1 Peter 1, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5. Okay, can somebody read that, please? 1 Peter 5, thank you, verse 5. Who does God resist? He resists the what? Proud, and but He gives grace to the what? Humble. Humble. Okay, so if God somehow blesses you, and you become successful, make sure you hand it out when it comes. And when you become successful in, say, in preaching or any spiritual gift God gives you, say teaching or anything, you must remember that. You must stay humble, right? <laughs> you you cannot you cannot let the pride that even if success get I mean you kinda get to your head. You cannot get big headed in, in anything you do. Because um, the Bible says that pride goes before what? A fall. You don't want that to happen. Okay, so um, let's look at that next quotation here in um first Peter chapter five, verse five. Oh, I'm sorry, Testimonies Volume three, page two thirty five. And could somebody read that please? It uh, says you would need to be guarded. We we've already continued to keep out of you have concurred a habit of making yourself very common You should forget self and hide behind Jesus. Let the dear Savior be magnified. But lose side of yourself when you see and feel your weakness. You will not see that there is anything in yourself worthy of notice or So when you're preaching or you become, example, when you're preaching up there, you must remember that who must be magnified? Yourself? Okay, okay, Christ. So you're definitely not there to magnify yourself. And then it says here, welcome, it says here, but lose sight of who? Of self. Okay, so self must be lost sight of. And it says here that when you see and feel your what? Your weakness. You will not see that there is anything in yourself worthy of what? Notice or (laughs) remark. Welcome, welcome. (laughs) Okay, so we can never get prideful, big headed. If you do well in preaching, don't ever think that, okay, I did good. I can, you know, get self confident because uh, pride does go before a a fall. You don't want to fall, right, spiritually. Okay, so um, that's the principle here. There's another quotation that says here from Gospel Workers. That a faithful minister it says, He will not hunger after what? Oh, you don't have it. You will not hunger after popularity, right? So you're not here to preach to get famous or popular or you know, or if you become good at preaching, people are gonna come up to you if it's a good sermon going, Oh, that was a good sermon, you know. It's kinda like you can easily get boastful and prideful, yeah, like pretty big headed, huh? So God's going to, th- if you become cocky and arrogant, like, oh, I'm a good preacher, or, oh, yeah, I did pretty good, you know, like, wow, you know what's going to happen? God's going to humble you. He's going to humble you. You know why? Because this is not something like you're playing basketball or something, you get big-headed. You, you're preaching. So the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to convict you, and, I mean, I've been there before. You're going you're gonna to fall. Pride goes before falling. When you get pride, the next step is falling. So you're going to fall, you're going to get, you're going to fall down, and you're going to be humbled. So you don't want to be cocky or arrogant, right? You think that's good to be arrogant when you're preaching? No. Some people get arrogant, like, oh, yeah, I know I'm good. You know, that's not good when you're preaching. Um, oh, yeah, pray. oh, yeah, I know I'm really good. Yeah, that's good, or bragging about what you're doing. You don't want to get that direction. I know people who do that, so you do not want to go that direction. You must stay humble, right, because that's what God wants, um, whatever situation you're in. Okay, turn to Matthew 24, verse 45 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 24, um, and we're looking at foundational principles of sermons, Two A, Matthew 24, verse 45 in your Bibles. Matthew 24. 24, verse 4 and 5. 24, verse 45. Okay. Who is a faithful and wise servant? And then it says here, the Lord made rule over his household, so as you're speaking, God give you rulership over the people of this house, of God's house right here, and then it says here that you're going to give them what? Meat. Another word for meat here is food. In what? Due season. Due season means at the right time. In other words, you need to give the people some, people are hungry out there, because they're hurting, they're suffering, they're going through hardships, they're going to trials, right? They're going to a divorce. You know, I know members in our churches, my, my churches I'm pastoring in now who have gone to divorce recently. So they've gone to divorce, they're hurting, they're in pain. So you must be used by God to minister, to give healing to them, food, because they're hungry for something at the right time. And that's what God's calling you to do, right? To get food at the right time. That's what God's going to call you to do with this preaching. That's going to be something that's going to really touch somebody and really heal them in the suffering that they're going through uh, doing at this time. So, and that's why it is not good for to go online, download a sermon, and read someone else's sermon. I know pastors who do that. I know p- people, church members who do that. That's nice and everything, but that may be a good sermon for that pastor, in that church, in that state, in that year 2009. But it's not good for you in the Kohala Church, the Honoka Church, in the year 2011, in February, March, or April. Are you following me? That, it may be a message that was good for that time, but it's not good for, it's not meat in due season, it's not food at the right time for what the people in Honokah Church need to hear, right? So you got to give food, what the people need to hear at this time. That's what you need to give um, at the right, in due season, right? At the right time. Not only should you not read someone else's sermon, and you should create your own, but if you made a sermon that was seven years ago, you shouldn't go and pull it out and preach the exact same sermon you did seven years ago to the people seven years later and do the same thing word for word, unless you revise it, right? Right? Don't get lazy and do the same thing. Revise it completely, but listen to the Holy Spirit. What is the message that God wants to give to the people at this time? You know, I use old, actually, one thing about being in, I've been in this church, this is my 12th year in this church, okay? I cannot preach the same sermon <laughs> because people heard that sermon. It's not like I went to another church and I can preach another sermon, but I'm stuck here, and that forces me that I got to make a new sermon every single time, and it, it challenges me because I got to, Maybe some of you heard a little bit of what I've said before and I changed it around. But um, I'm forced to create new series and I like it actually because I can create a whole series and then go to another series. Um, So don't give stale bread, yeah. Don't give old food, give fresh food, straight from heaven what the people need to hear. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) any questions, thoughts? Does that make sense? Yeah, Crystal here, no? Oh here. Okay. She's gonna preach, right? <laughs> nah. <No. laughs> okay, turn me to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke chapter 19, your Bibles, and we're looking at 2B right now. 2B. So n- number one, don't number one preach messages that's gonna be what the people need to hear at that time. Share messages from your heart, what the Holy Spirit's been convicting you, what you feel impressed to do, like it has been a burden on your heart. That's the kind of message that you need to share. Okay, I know you guys are coming up in February already, right, in Kohala. So that's soon, right, pretty soon. Okay, so that's going to be good. And you guys are starting up soon, in a couple of months. So you want to pray and ask God, what is the message God wants you to give? So Luke chapter 19, verse 10, what did Christ come to this earth for? Can somebody read that, please? He came to what? Seek and to what? Save that which was lost. So Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. So what if you're walking down the road and you see your mom or your brother fall over the side of a bridge in the water. They don't know how to swim. And you're trying to call out for help for people to help them? Are you gonna be saying to someone, "Hey, can you go over there go help my mom? Are you gonna be like cracking jokes and you playing around like that? Are you gonna be cracking' be cracking jokes? N- none of you would do that, right? You're gonna be like earnest, you're gonna be pleading, please, no, can you please help my mom like you'd be real, right? You'd be earnest, right? So in the same way, when you're up there, what are you trying to do with the people? You're trying to you would save, you'd be earnest in saving someone, right, from dying in this world, in a car accident. In the same way, as higher as the heavens are above the earth, if someone is dying spiritually, you're preaching from on the top, you're trying to save their soul. In other words, you're trying to be earnest, you're trying to plead with them, right? You're trying to be like, save their soul, you do anything possible to save them. You're not going to be a comedian up there, and that's why it's not good to be just a you know, cracking joke, it's okay to be natural humor, to tell a story that's naturally funny. But if people have to ask you the question, if they ever ask the question, now why did you tell that story for? Like if it's not connecting your sermon, you shouldn't be telling a joke. The only reason you tell a story that's funny, you know, I do it once in a while, is that it connects with the sermon. It has a meaning. It has some substance to it, right? You're not just cracking joke and the person asks, well, how come they told that story if It was funny, but well, how come they told that story? You got to connect it to your It has to be connected. And you're not just going to be telling like as a whole. the whole thing is this one big, you know, Comedy Center or, you know, whatever. So you want to make sure that it has meaning. So look at the the quotation here that it says from the Spirit of Prophecy. Um, From Testimonies to Ministers. It says, the bold print. Well, let me read the whole thing. What is the object of the ministry? Is it to mix the comical and the religious? The theater is a place for such exhibitions. So the comical, to make fun, right? Up there on the platform when you're speaking. A Christ is formed within, if the truth with its sanctifying power is brought into the inner sanctuary of the soul, there's a balance, and notice the balance. You will not have jolly men, a jolly men that you're just cracking up jokes, you're a clown, you know, like you're just playing around. B- neither will you have sour, cross, crowd men to teach the precious lessons of Christ to perish souls. soul. You're not going to be the other extreme where you're going to be moody and mean and people don't like you. You want to be balanced, right? You want to show the love of God. You want to be friendly. You want to be happy up there and you want to share the love of God to save souls. Uh, if that's clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. Okay. And okay, now go to, any questions, thoughts? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely men and women, I mean, so. You know, when the Bible talks about men, is referring to men and women. It's like, uh In the Bible, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Adam called their name Adam. Adam and Eve is both men and women. Uh, yeah, it is Noah. Sorry. Welcome, there's Okay, so go to First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 in your Bible. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. So number one, now we did the preparation already, but for creating a sermon, number one, You want to show the the love of God because only the cross I will draw. If I lift it up, I will draw. Only the love has the attractive drawing power of love, right? So you want to reveal the love of God in your sermons. You got to show the love of God. It draws. That's number one. The second thing is that um, you must reach the hearts of the people. They're going to sin, struggles, hardships, trials. You got to reach the heart. You got to really... Meet them where they're at and come down to them and reach their hearts. Um, number three is you must remain humble. You must not get arrogant or prideful in what you're doing. And then in the presentation, um, you must uh, you must give food at the right time, right, to every person. Uh, you can't be rehashing old sermons or writing, reading someone else's sermon. And then also you must save and seek the lost is pleading and earnestness to the people. And then it says here, that the sixth point here, the principle that we learn is 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. Could someone read that? What is everyone who strives for the mastery to do? 1 Corinthians 9 25. Okay. Every person who strives for the mastery is what? Temperate in what? All things. In other words, if you're going to do your best for the Lord, you must control yourself now you of your own self my own my own self i cannot control myself you cannot con- control yourself you can only surrender to a god who can control us right amen so he's going to change us he can so what god wants us to do is that he wants us to be temperate in other words we must be self controlled in everything we must be controlled you know the one of the dangers i was reading in uh I was reading this week in a spiritual book the dangers of ministers talking about me is Ellen White says the dangers of ministers is that They don't get enough exercise, (laughs) and they overeat. (laughs) I guess as the ministers in those days. And I look at myself, oh, you know Hawaii, we like to eat, huh? (laughs) Food in Hawaii is like the same word, yeah? So we love to eat and overeat, and then also exercise. You know, as a minister, we don't get exercise. We sit in the computer, you know, we're visiting. I mean, it's not like you are exercising. So I have to force myself. You know, last night, I have to force myself. I barely had enough time to run last night. I gotta exercise, and so, In your sense, you have to be well-balanced while around. You have to get exercise. You have to eat healthy. And also, be balanced in every aspect. Don't overwork yourself. Don't get too busy in your job, your school, you're stressed out. Then you can't really hear God's voice, right? And not only that, as a minister, like, you can't have too much things to do. Like, uh, last week I was in Seattle, Washington. And they scared me, one meeting on Friday night, to this one church, the Everett Indonesian Church in Seattle, Washington. And then on Sabbath at the South Center, Seventh Avenue Church, they scattered me five times to preach. Five times. So they said, Sabbath school church, 2 o'clock, 3.30. I didn't get that until 6. Okay, So I'm preaching this whole time. I knew that. I couldn't handle this. That's, to me, that's being intemperate. Because they say one sermon, you're going to realize that when you preach, one sermon they say is up to four hours of work. I mean, it just drains you. And so if you're doing all these things, you need to be temperate. And so, like on Friday when I got there, they're going to take me out. But we rested. And I'm glad I rested because if I know I'm going to have a long day, I prepare myself. I take it easy. I, I reflect. I don't want to go out. You know, I kind of just take it easy if I know I have a long day. And um, in the same way, if you're going to do like more than one or if you're going to do a sermon, like if you're preaching, it's not good that you're also like running the platform chair up there, people asking questions and all that. Um, It's hard as a minister because everyone's always coming to you, right? But if you're preaching, it's hard to to really stay focused. and That's why it's good to have platform chairs and, you know, um, assistant chairs to be assisting. So if someone is preaching, if you're preaching, you should focus on preaching that day, right? That's enough, I think. You shouldn't be doing everything else, special music and children's story and platform chair and playing piano. I mean... That's just too much. Sabbath school teacher, you need to be focused on that, and then let other people worry about platform chair and all that. And also, if you see someone else is preaching, like one of your friends or whatever, then and you see they're being burdened with a lot of things, then you take the responsibility to deal with these other things, like doing the platform chair or do the special music for them, so you don't have to be so caught up. I don't know how you guys are doing in the, in the youth next month. Are you guys gonna do everything like singing, children's story, <laughs> huh? Oh, they're going to help. Okay, good. So you're not going to do everything. Okay, okay. Maybe the people who are speaking, making, give them a little, so less pressure, maybe, or something. So just kind of keep it in mind when you're speaking, go Hanukkah, this, you know, just focus on preaching for that day. Song service, preaching, I mean, it's hard to mix all that. So be temperate in that. So the sixth thing here I want to present is that you must be uh, temperate. Look at these quotations here, pretty powerful. Uh, Notice what it says here. Can somebody read that about some ministers? From page 647 of Volume One on Testimonies, please. Stop. Here's these ministers starting these evangelistic meetings, and what are they doing? Not only are they preaching, but they take on burdens which God was what? What does it say, inspiration? Like God does not require them to do. In other words, they're so jealous, but they take on things that they're not required to do. What are they doing? They're singing a song service. They're doing all the praying. They're doing everything. But what happens? It says that they get worn out. And then not only get it worn out, but they're forced to leave the meetings. They've got to go home to rest because they got burned out. You know, people get burned out. That's what happens. You don't want to burn yourself out if you're doing ministry. Not only that, there's another quotation here. It wasn't in there, but it says here, if ministers will preserve a reserve force and at the very point where everything seems to move the hardest, to make the most earnest efforts, the strongest appeals, the closest applications, and like valiant soldiers at the critical moment make the charge upon the enemy, they will gain the victory. In other words, you should always have reserve energy because this is how Satan works. If you're going, 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 then an emergency pops up, Say like you're doing a youth meetings or a week of prayer or even a church service. If you're doing a song service and you're doing a children's story, then you're going to do the special music. And then um, if you're doing that and then when you're going to preach, Satan likes to throw something in there to just wipe you out and you're not going to have the ability to actually do a good sermon. So I always try and keep a reserve energy with me because I know how he works, that I'm ready – I like to be ready for him at any time. That's how I, I work. It's a, it's a spiritual warfare. So every moment of day, I have a reserve force. I don't extend myself. I don't need, I mean, today I'm doing a lot. You know, I'm preaching, did ukulele class, teaching this class, and tonight I'm doing another sermon. So that's four presentations. But I keep an even pace. You know, I'm not gonna be counseling too much on the side just today. You know, I, I, you gotta balance your energy out. You gotta save your energy for the emergency that happens. So an the emergency comes, you have the power to meet it. And it says when you meet it, then you have, you have victory over the eni- enemy. That's what you need. So you can't get too much. You must be temperate, the Bible says. In how many things? In all things. In all things. Okay? Is that clear? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? amen. Okay. All right. Um, the next s- section is sermon structures. So what I'm going to do is, okay, before I hand it out, Look at your handout. It says here that you must have a sermon title. Okay, you must have, try and make a catchy title. Pray about it. I came to the point that, I don't know, the, the titles come to me. I try to make it a very as catchy. It just comes in, as, wow, that's a good title. And I even asked my wife, what do you think? You like this title or you like this title? You know, I kind of asked them. Because sometimes, maybe not here, but, you know, online, sometimes people, Gonna look at, they're going to listen to your sermon based upon what the title says, right? It's catchy. Now, in church, they're forced to listen to it. <laughs> you have a captive audience. They have no choice because they're sitting there and they're forced to, because they feel God calls them to be there. So they're going to listen no matter what. But um, like online, like the church website or whatever maybe may be, you want to have a catchy side title. But it does make a sense when you introduce your sermon, it does catch it, and then they may want to listen to it. The next thing is creating your sermon. So, there are three parts to a sermon. There is a simply, what is the first part? Do you know? Okay, you got introduction, right? And what's the next part? The body. And then what's the last one? Conclusion, right? Okay. So, basically, it's simple. <laughs> All you're going to do is introduction. You're going to tell them, they say, you're going to tell them what you're going to tell them. That's what you're going to do. You're going to tell them what you're going to tell them. And then the body is, you're going to tell them what you said you're going to tell them. And then the conclusion is, you're going to tell them what you already told them. Does that make sense? In other words, you're going to tell, basically what you're going to do is you're going to tell them three times. So the introduction is that you're going to tell them, OK, this is what I'm going to talk about, right? Simple. The body is you tell them what you said you're gonna talk about. That's what you said you're gonna um, talk about. And then the last part is you're gonna wrap it up and tell them what you just told them. Does that make sense? So you just tell it three times because repetition. The more you hear something, the more it makes an impression. You understand it. You hear one thing once, you may remember the next time. But you hear it twice, you can remember it more. But you hear it three times, you're more likely you're gonna hear it more like a week later. So you want to tell them the same thing in different ways. But introduction like in a paragraph, and then a body which is like three points, right, um, and then a the conclusion. The introduction, you want to grab their attention because sometimes if you don't grab their attention in the first paragraph, you may lose them, the whole, the whole presentation. You gotta, sometimes I tell a story, uh, uh, sometimes you may say something that totally doesn't make sense, um, that, that you don't normally hear, like catch them off guard with something that totally blows them away, right, that, you know, that you never get along with so-and-so or whatever. And then the body, you, you back up what you said by making three main points and the conclusion, you wrap it up and you make an appeal. We're going to have a whole class on appeals. And then, you know, this is the end when I normally tell a story, right? I tell a story, you want to make it touching, appealing to the heart and it reaches the person. Okay, any questions on this? Introduction body, you ain't seen this before, right? Very simple. Okay, there's three types of sermons that I say. I know there's different types they say. There's three different types that other people say. But this is uh, Pastor Keala's interpretation. The first one is telling a Bible story. The second one is picking a topic and using Bible text to back up that topic. The third one is picking one word and every single text you use has that same word in it. It's called a word study. That's, that's my method. And which one do you think of all these? The Bible story, the topic? Oh, well. The Bible study or the topic or the word study, which one do you think is the one that people like to hear the most? Which one do you think? You tell me. Which one do you like to hear the most? Do you like to hear a Bible story, a topical sermon, or a word study? Which one do you like to hear? What do you guys like to hear? You like word studies? Just going yeah, word studies? Word topics. topics? Well, everyone's different. Very good. Very good. Years are good, actually. Years guys are Bible students. People in the world out there, let me tell you about, people in the world, postmodern and younger generation, they like to hear stories, <laughs> Bible stories. The problem with Bible stories is this. There's only so much stories in the Bible. If you're preaching so many times over and over, you're gonna run out of stories, so you gotta go through topic sermons, then you gotta go to you know, word studies. But they say the postmodern mind loves stories. So if you're preaching to like a younger generation who maybe don't even go to church, if you tell a Bible story, that's the best sermon they say to reach these people. Uh, so what I've done is could you help me hand this out, please? Crystal, and hand this out please. Marco. These are three sermons this is my own sermons. So I wanna go over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can do whatever you want. You can take any, you can take <laughs> Don't preach them when I'm there. <laughs> then I know you copied. I don't care. There's nothing new under the sun. You know raw got it from some other source. You. you don't have to follow this, but this is my way of how I do it. And I normally have three pages per sermon, that's what I normally do. And I, this you should have three each. What is that? What's that? Oh, yeah. let's go over fully known and yet fully loved first, because that is the and um, a Bible story sermon is called narrative. That's is the name they call it narrative. So you want to know what it's called? It's called narrative. And this is what postmoderns like to listen to. So look at the first one. Let's just kind of break it down. So this is an example of how I make my sermons. I kind of do word for word, but. I'm going to go over a presentation later, but when I preach, I'm not, you don't see me in front of the pulpit reading word for word, looking down the whole time, do you? I'm away. Wit- I like you notice I walk around, write a lot. I go this side and that side. I'm not reading my sermons, but I I do write it down only to improve my writing skills. I try to improve my writing skills. I try, I'm serious, like just on the on the introduction, I spent like two hours or just on one paragraph, just wording it and wording it. And to me, it built my ability to make that introduction. Like now it's easier because I was I did that in the past, I'm able to do it faster now. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes, I can do it in twenty minutes, ten minutes, whatever. But before I did put my time in it. So just want to let you know I did I have spent a long time doing some introduction. Cause I know some introductions, if I don't get them, they're gone. Especially young people. If I don't get the young people in that first paragraph, they're not even listening to me the whole time, right? And young people are so hard to reach, right, today. It's so hard with everything that you're competing against. So if you're preaching to young people, I mean, you're competing with um, you're just competing with the latest movies and you know video games and entertainment. You got to catch them. It's going to take a lot of work. So you get the introduction. You see this? The introduction I say is introduction in bold, and I have a and then I have the body. There's one point, two, and look at the next page, three. I think this one has four. I normally have three points. But this is a story, so let's look at it. The first one, the first one, I just love before the change. The first one on the first page, I just kind of give a background on a couple of principles, what my sermons about, and then I went into the stories. The first story, number two, was which one? The woman at cycles, the woman at the well. Do you see that? So I went the woman at the well, and the next page, um, I, th- I go through each section. You can go home and study, read it or whatever. And then the next one, I went to the story. I made a parallel with the woman at the well to the woman caught in what? Adultery. That's the next story. See, I'm, I'm preaching a story. I'm preaching another story. People, just, they like stories. And then the last page here, I ended with another story that parallels the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. And all, and all of them had affairs. All of them had relationships. And people love relationships. The last one was Gomer, And what did Gomer do to her husband? What did she do? She left him. She cheated on her husband. So all these were the relationship problems. Um, they had problems with their relationships. And then at last page, conclusion. Noah's I did a conclusion. And notice I hear it says here on the last page, story of what? Brazilian woman. I ended with this story. Because then I, I parallel the olden day story to a modern day story. There's something about stories that happen today that just grabs you. And then you tell them about a modern day story and then people get sucked into it. You know when I notice and I tell a story like this at the end, you now people are paying attention, but it's like when I tell the story of the Brazilian woman or a, a story at the end of my sermon, people are like this. Like you just see like they're, they're just like glue, like this. I mean it's amazing. And like even little kids, my daughter is saying, oh, I like that story about the woman in Brazil, you know, that girl she, in Brazil. She tells me, like she be calling like this and then she hear the story and she like this. I mean, there's something about stories that just pull people in. S- doesn't matter how young they are, it just sucks them in. And um, she told me, I like that story, I like the story. Well, what about the rest of the sermon? She don't remember, but she liked the story. <laughs> she remembered the stories. People love stories, don't they? She likes, she, she likes to have stories read to her. I mean, we've always liked stories, Uncle Arthur or whatever. We like bedtime stories, but that's all. She likes it. Any thoughts? Do you guys see that? In school, do you guys see that? With children, yeah, you do. What grabs their attention? Story. Uh, very good. Like um, like Chris Larson said, cognitive cognitive dissonance, right? You, and that's in the beginning, the introduction. You tell them something that totally blows them away, like, what? And then you draw them in. That's how you draw them in. Because, like, oh, this is not the regular sermon I'm used to. Like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 you know, that's what they're thinking. But when you hear something that grabs the attention, like, oh, what is it? I never heard that before. And then you go into the, then you go into your sermon. And at the end, you end with a nice story. I mean, this wraps it up nicely. That's true. Okay, very good. So you see that? This is stories. Now let's go to the next one that I like. Um the lie about love. This was a topic. I wanted to show you the difference between God's love and worldly love, the way we love on this earth. So you have um, the first section, I put our love for others. I tell about the different loves, it's eros, storge, phileo, and agape, right? Then I talk about what is true love. And then I, the second sec- section, I go the false lie about God's love. You know the Satan lies about God's love, right? And that is not true. And then I review a number three section, what is really Godly love all about? What is God's love really all about? Okay, and I explain about God's love, and then I wrap it up in a conclusion, and then, uh, and that's it, and then, make, and then make an appeal at the end. Very simple, yeah? Questions about this? Okay, and the last one here, I rarely do this one. This is a word study, but I did this a, a few years ago. And it's called the face of Christ. So in number one, in Matthew 17, it talks about his face was illuminating. was shown with the glory. In other words, um, he had an illuminated face, right? And then the second one is he had his face set toward Jerusalem. So he had a steadfast face. So look at the different faces of Jesus. So it says steadfast face. And the third one says that he had his face to the ground praying. So he had his earth-stained face. And then it was. So I'm using the word face in every text. That's why you come like the concordance and the logos. You can look up those words. The next one it says his bruised face. It was at the cross. It was bruised. He was beaten with the whips. The next one he died. So he had a dead face, right? And then I go on. And then he was victorious in the end. So he had a victorious face. You see the same word in every text. And that's how I did my sermon. And something unique because you don't hear sermons like this. Like. You already hear about someone using one word and say, what is that word again? Face. And you go the next test. And what is that word in that text saying again? It says face. And you go to the next one. You can face and you connect face, face, face all the way down in seven, eight texts. then that's good. Any questions on this? And then a conclusion. And I wrap it up in the end. Illumined face, steadfast face, dusty face, bruised face, face in death, victorious face. And then his face is turned toward you. Thoughts? Questions. So you can go back. Introduction. Question. No. Question. Oh good, yes, you're pretty good. He's <laughs> <It's> gone. <laughs> okay, let's go on the uh, la- the last section. Principles for making sermons. Uh, Mark twelve thirty-seven. Could somebody turn to Mark chapter? Could you please read Mark chapter twelve? verse 37 in your Bibles how did the pom- common people react to Jesus' messages just some me read When Jesus spoke, how did the common people, those who were uneducated, didn't have degrees, homeless, how how did they hear him? The Bible says they heard him. What? What? Glad. Glad. In other words, when Jesus presented presentations, it was so simple, so clear, and to the point. That they liked listening to his presentations, right? So, when you present your presentations, there's several things that you, you we should do. Okay, the first one, can i read that too. Um, the quotation there, evangelism, page fifty-six. Okay, you may not see this, but I see it. When I started, first started off. I learned so much truth that guess what? I wanted everyone to know everything I knew. So what did I do in my sermon? I threw everything at them all, all at once. And I learned this, and by the way, this, and by the way, this, and then and this, and this, and this, and this. And you know what? People were like, oh, they're just overwhelmed. Like, this is too much. And I was preaching, I mean, I would be preaching like an hour. I mean, this, that's how I first started out. And that's the danger for first starting off because you're going to be learning, oh, you're studying your resources and everything. You learn so much, and so you want to throw everything you learn at them, this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and guess what? You're going to overwhelm the people. They're not going to follow you, you're going to lose them. And so you've got to make sure that you're, you are presenting things that is simple and, and well organized, right? You've got to have those things well organized. Questions, thoughts, other things? Because another thing here says, Jesus. He, Jesus, came right to the point. In other words, don't be beating around the bush when you're speaking. Just get right to the point, hit it dead on, and then move on. Because if you beat around the bush, you're going to lose people. You've got to hit it uh, dead on. Okay, so get to the point, make it simple, and um, don't throw everything out of them. Put a little bit points. That's the most important. Three main points, and you don't want to go more than that, re- very rarely. Okay, turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. What else? What did Paul take joy in beholding at the Colossian church? Colossians 2 verse five in your Bible. Colossians 2 verse five in your Bibles. Does somebody read that, please? What did they take joy in beholding in the Colossian church? He took he, he joy in beholding what? Their order. In other words, when he saw their order, he took joy, and he, noticed he enjoyed seeing their order that they had. So in the same way, we should also make sure that we are Organize in our sermons, whenever you make a presentation. Now, um, there's a quotation here that if you could uh, read it. Could somebody read that, please? A quotation in Evangelism, page 181. When you create your sermons, it must be so organized and connected that people will take joy in listening to your sermon, right? They joy take joy in your order, your organization of your sermon. It's connected. Now, I don't know if you notice, know but you know you can listen to sermons, and I'm being guilty of the past of this, but you can listen to sermons and it's not connected. You ever been to that? You listen to sermon, and well, where are they going? How come they weren't there? And like, and people get lost in that. You cannot. When you create, create the sermons, you've got to be connected. You've got to connect one thought to the next thought. And if it's not connected, you got to think, what is the bridge that's going to connect between these two thoughts? Don't just bring a thought in because it's, it's interesting. Uh, we're creating a Bible study with the Bible workers, and then we're making the studies. And then as we're making the questions and the answers, one person said, what about we put this inside that study? study? And then... We said, but that has nothing to do with it. It's a good thought, but it's nothing to do with what we're actually trying to teach. And so you can bring many good thoughts into your presentation, but you want to make sure that what you're bringing in is actually exactly what um, is connected with what your whole sermon is all about. Does that make sense? Is that clear? So any thoughts on that? Questions? Okay. Let's go to the last part here. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 19 and 20. Exodus. Chapter 16, verse 19 and 20. Can somebody read that, please? What happened when some people took more manna than they needed? Go ahead. And 20. So when they took more manna or more food than they needed, what happened? What happened? The food got rotten and it smelled bad, right? So in the same way, when we take too much spiritual food or we give too much spiritual food, it becomes spoiled and no use for us. In other words, it's not good to give us too much spiritual food when you're preaching to the people, right? Because it may, come, it may get rotten and smell bad in, in, with, among the people. So in other words, it's not good to preach too long sermons, right? <laughs> you must be short and to the point. Too long sermons is not good. And that's why, you know, there's a couple quotations here about that. Um, it says here, the first one, that which is spoken in the first hour is of far more value the sermon closes then than the words that are s- spoken in an added half an hour. So in other words, if you speak more than an hour long, after an hour, it's just too much already. People were not going to follow That's what it says here. And there's another quotation that says here, it's not in here, but it says, when I prepare thoroughly a sermon, half an hour, when only partially an hour, but when I enter the pulpit without previous preparation, I go on for any length of time you like. In fact, I never know when to stop. That's what Ellen says. She's talking, referring to someone else. So if, in other words, if you don't prepare a good sermon, that's the type of people that actually ramble on for a long time. Because they didn't spend the time preparing. But the more you prepare your sermons, the actually the more connected, the shorter it gets because you know what you're talking about. You study, you work at your sermon to make it tighter, you made it short. Shorter sermons are better. They say half an hour to an hour. Um, I go about 40 minutes. And it's funny that when you first start, you go, I start in an hour and then you cut shorter. But it should go the other way. When you first start preaching, you should start 20 minutes and then build up to like, you know, half an hour, you know. But uh, the shorter, actually, the better. Twi- 30 minutes is, you know, that's the time of about how TV is, right? They got half an hour program, then the next half an hour. <laughs> and they're going to have half an hour. <laughs> that's just how the, the world works today, unfortunately. But uh, half an hour seems like it's a good time. Any thoughts, questions on this so far? Okay. Yeah. So, half an hour to an hour is recommended length for sermons. Uh, you should present the sermons in the most attractive light. As Again, I want to emphasize that, that you may have a good message from the Lord that God may give to you, but if you don't know how to present it in the right way, then you may lose the power, the impact, that God may have that sermon for his people, right? So you want to make sure that you're able to present it in an attractive way that God wants you to, uh, most attractive way. And that's why this is class is for, to help you to present it in the best possible way, right? And so... May God bless you as you seek to give your best. Any questions or thoughts on these? Or okay. We close the prayer then. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the ability to share your messages and we pray that as we present, that your Holy Spirit may teach us and that we may give the message you want us to share in the most attractive way possible. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So.